Hello, Annie McLaughlin here for this week's edition of Stick Together, focusing on union news and social justice issues. Stick Together is produced in the studios of 3CR Radio in Melbourne and we're broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network to your local community radio station. Just last week, the energy company AGL was given a free kick by the Fair Work Commission after AGL refused to talk with workers for 15 months over their enterprise bargaining agreement. What the Fair Work Commission did was ruled that the EBA would be scrapped and that workers at Luoyang Power Station in Gippsland would have their wages and conditions set based on the modern award. Stick Together has an extended interview with CFMEU's Victorian Mining and Energy Division's Jeff Dyke, who explains what has happened and gives us an insight into the insidious nature of this modern award concept that is raising its ugly head in the Australian industrial scene as employers come up with new methods to attack workers' conditions and wages. But first, some union news. The Maritime Union of Australia is calling for a Royal Commission into 457 visas. These visas are one of the types of visas that allow foreign workers access to the Australian employment market. You will remember that in August last year the MUA celebrated a High Court victory in regards to the use of the visas, the 457 visas. In that case, the union took the then Assistant Immigration Minister, Senator Michaela Cash, to court after she ignored the will of the Senate and used a ministerial determination to grant working visa exemptions to foreign workers on offshore vessels. Now, recent reports from the media have revealed an American company, Diamond Offshore, has staffed a third of its workforce on the Ocean Monarch rig off Port Headland with foreign workers, mostly US citizens, on 457 visas. This is despite there being no skill shortage for oil and gas plant operators in Western Australia. These media reports also say that the American corporate giant runs a 183-day-a-year roster for its fly-in, fly-out foreign workers, so they are not resident in Australia for tax purposes. This is an outrage and appears to be one of the biggest rorts going around because hundreds of local workers could have filled these jobs, the MUA National President Christy Kane said. If they had put Australian workers on that rig, they would have been paying tax back to this country. Bringing Americans in here is an absolute disgrace when Australians are out of work. There should be a Royal Commission into multinational companies which come into Australia and abuse the 457 visas to take local jobs and pay no tax, said Mr Kane. The ongoing Centrelink debt debacle shows a federal government with a clear agenda when it comes to a certain part of the Australian citizenry. But it is only one item of news on this front. Green Senator Rachel Siwit had a go at the Federal Minister for Human Services, Alan Tudge, for cherry-picking in the federal government's report for the cashless welfare card after its six-month trial in Seduna, South Australia. The cashless welfare card quarantines 80% of a social security recipient's payment 
so they can only buy goods from a particular supermarkets with a prohibition on alcohol and gambling products. The six-month progress report, published in October, contained anecdotal evidence of the card's success, along with statistics from South Australian police. The number of people arrested for public drunkenness in Sejuna, a seaside town on the west coast of the Eyre Peninsula, was 54% lower between March and June last year compared with the same period in 2015, the report said. It also found reports of domestic violence received in July last year were 13% lower compared with April. The problem with these figures, says the Green Senator Rachel Seward, is that the government failed to publicise that at the time of compiling the report, the department also had police data showing a 71% increase in aggravated robbery for the area in the period from October 2015 to October 2016, compared with the same period the previous year. Non-aggravated robbery increased 200% in the same period. The 12-month trial of the card will conclude this year, at which point there will be an independent evaluation. Seward questioned why the department released its six-month progress report given it was not independent and that a proper evaluation was being conducted. The cashless welfare card, which was first foisted on Aboriginal communities, is seen as a shame-laden system bringing back ration days that tied people to high prices at particular designated outlets without self-determination. The system was championed by Western Australian of the Year, the millionaire Twiggy Forrest, in his 2015 report commissioned by the Abbott government. Before we leave the issue of social insecurity, the recent changes to social security means that the back-to-school bonus has been cut. Families with a combined income under $100,000 received a yearly allowance of $430 for each child in primary school and $856 for each child in secondary school. The payments were designed to pay for uniforms, books and equipment as children go back to school and were introduced originally in response to the increasing amount of funds families were being asked to contribute to public school education. An education system which began life as free school education but has increasingly seen governments leaning on the individual resources of families to maintain. The removal of the back-to-school bonus will affect people with limited incomes disproportionately. It is an important support that hasn't been taking the headlines. A groundbreaking compo win for a Northern Territory firefighter is good news. Despite his life-threatening diagnosis with cancer, Jock McLeod has left a long-lasting legacy for other Northern Territory firefighters after a three-year fight for compensation from insurer TIO. The insurer knocked back Mr McLeod's claim for compensation for cancer he contracted on the job. In a message from Mr McLeod to all Northern Territory firefighters, union members, he said he had one avenue of appeal left open to him through Northern Territory WorkSafe. Last week, Northern Territory WorkSafe accepted his appeal. This win has meant firefighters who contracted any of the 12 specified cancers on the job would be covered by presumptive legislation, finally bringing the Northern Territory into line with most other jurisdictions.
His cancer was one of the 12 covered under new legislation, but after reneging on a vow to pay up, TIO refused to pay for the third time. I decided to appeal, said Mr McLeod, and was examined and assessed by the three doctors. My previous claims were turned down as I was being assessed using American Medical Association 4 guidelines and it appears the AMA4 is not suitable for firefighters' assessments for carcinomas, he said. The victory is for all firefighters and we all played a big part in this, he said. If you thought that the exploitation of workers through internationalisation of the workforce only affected workers coming into Australia, think again. Recent reports around the exodus of Australian teachers to the UK fulfilling their dreams of travel and a dream job show that it isn't all rosy for those who apply. The migration of young Australian teaching graduates overseas is caused by a chronic shortage of teachers in the UK and an oversupply of teachers in Australia, where up to 47,000 remain on a waiting list in New South Wales alone. Just some of the problems that have been reported by those who have been conned. Contracts that trap teachers into poor conditions where up to 40% of wages are taken through agency commissions. You might be told you are earning £130, that's 212 Australian dollars a day, but the schools are being charged £205, that's $335 Australian a day for a teacher. So there is a push from the company to get as many teachers into schools as possible. Teachers who have been employed under a guaranteed supply contract, which often covers the airfare to UK, unhappy teachers can be locked into a particular school until they have paid off the cost of the ticket. And while wages have remained the same as a decade ago, costs for services such as transport have risen. There are also complaints about long hours of up to 65 hours per week. For example, it is reported mind-numbing levels of administration, including the expectation that teachers will mark individual students every day. Murdoch University Management has applied to the Fair Work Commission to terminate the Enterprise Agreement covering academic and general staff. In a move, the National Tertiary Education Union, the NTEU, claims shows a complete lack of respect to dedicated employees. If successful, this application would mean that the only industrial instrument regulating the employment conditions of Murdoch staff would be the terms of the Safety Net Modern Award, which are way below the Enterprise Agreement conditions. This application is expressly about removing hard-won conditions that management don't want, explained NTEU Western Australian Secretary Gab Gooding. The NTEU has been negotiating a new enterprise agreement since April 2016. The NTEU General Secretary Graham McCulloch has written that that a successful application would give the management, if it chooses, the capacity to demolish working conditions, including the possibility of reducing wages by 25 to 39%, cut redundancy entitlements by one-third for academics and 80% for professional staff, removing all academic workload regulation, ending rights to academic and intellectual freedom, and eliminating employer-provided paid 
paternal leave. Ms Gooding added that the actions of Murdoch management are like those taken by rogue employers in the mining and construction industries, such as Griffin Coal, that resulted in a reduction in the pay of those workers by up to 43%. University staff around the country, as well as members of the community, are encouraged to show their support for Murdoch University staff using hashtag ThinkMurdochThinkShame and hashtag DefendOurUnis on social media. Those addresses again, hashtag Think Murdoch, Think Shame, and hashtag Defend Our Unis. Stick, stick together. together. Yeah. Stick together. together. Yeah. Stick, stick together. together. Stick together. Stick together. Stick together. You're listening to Stick Together on Community Radio. You're on Stick Together, Union News and Workers Stories with Annie McLaughlin, on your local community radio, through the Community Radio Network. On Friday the 14th of January, the Fair Work Commission ordered the enterprise agreement between AGL and workers at one of Victoria's biggest coal-fired power stations, Luoyang, in Gippsland's Latrobe Valley, be scrapped, meaning workers will be covered by a modern award until a new agreement can be reached. I was able to talk to Jeff Dykes from the CFMEU Victorian Mining and Energy Division to find out the background leading up to this decision, to understand what a modern award means and why this decision is a canary in the mine to workers across Australia. During the course of enterprise bargaining, AGL sought to terminate the the enterprise agreement to um, put it in a stronger position over workers and... um, the Fair Work Commission um, granted that application. But you guys have been in, you know, been months, hasn't it, that you guys have been trying to get AGL to come to the table to talk about the EBA, right? Yeah, look, it's been in excess of 15 months. AGL have met with us um, numerous times, but haven't genuinely engaged in bargaining. They've tried to dictate outcomes. They've put two proposals out to a vote of the employees that were not endorsed by bargaining reps and their claims seek to strip the enterprise agreement of all the workplace conditions. Currently, the agreement is terminated effective from the 30th of January. What And AGL have given an undertaking to maintain some pay and superannuation and things for a three-month period. After that, an internal memo to employees is, has told workers that it will drop them to the modern award, um, which is on average a 65% pay cut to workers. What's this modern award thing? What are they talking about? Um, a modern award is supposed to be a, a federal safety net so that um, if employees don't have an enterprise agreement, The Modern Award sets their terms and conditions. Unfortunately, the Modern Award is so far out of touch with market rates that the pay rates are 65% less than, you know, what the market's paying. So if workers and enterprise agreement have that agreement terminated, um, well, then they fall back to the Modern Award, which is um, sadly lacking in... um, um, protecting the terms and conditions of the employment and their pay. So, like, this is a reset button, right? 
that's what they're doing, isn't it? They're resetting all the conditions and pay rates to a base rate that removes all the bargaining that's gone on beforehand. Yes, correct. It, um, it removes um, all, you know, lots of conditions such as agreed shift rosters. It removes uh, minimum staffing levels. It effectively removes no outsourcing employees' work to contractors. It removes job security provisions in the form of no-force redundancy. So it removes all those conditions. Um, a lot of the conditions in the modern award are the same as the NES. So, for example, long service leave um, would actually be cut by one third because the NES is less favourable than um, the um, uh, market conditions of the enterprise agreement. Um, uh, things like um, paid maternity leave is not um, a requirement. So the company are not required to um, provide paid maternity leave, so um, it strips uh, all conditions back, you know, um, pretty much, well, to their legal minimum, um, but it puts workers, you know, in a very disadvantaged position in bargaining because they're forced to either accept a 65% pay cut or accept the, unconditionally accept the company's um, claims, so... Um, so what was AGL's argument when it went to the Fair Work Commission? AGL made a lot of... Uh, they claimed that they were operating in a difficult uh, business circumstances and the power industry was going through transition and um, they provided a lot of evidence that when challenged didn't hold up. AGL's own evidence shows that Loyang returns a profit at between 200 and $250 million per a year. Our figures show that wholesale electricity prices have recently doubled. That effectively means that AGL's profits are likely to be between 400 and 500 million dollars per year. Yet they're on the stand under oath claiming difficult business circumstances. From a user's point of view, with the closure of Hazelwood, we're all being told that all of our bills are going to go up at least 10%. Yeah, that's correct. The wholesale price um, <clears throat> has um, doubled, obviously. Um, previously, um, they were producing, well, the wholesale price was around $0.03 cents a kilowatt hour, and they were selling, they're selling it to customers for about $0.33. Cents. Um, the wholesale price has risen to um, about $0.06 cents a kilowatt hour, um, Obviously, some of that cost would be passed through, but um, there seems to be a very large margin between the wholesale price and the retail price. So uh, one would expect that um, a certain amount of that could be absorbed. You're listening to Stick Together, Union News and Workers' Stories. At the moment, we're talking to Jeff Dyke from the CFMEU Victorian Mining and Energy Division about the recent decision that allows AGL to scrap the EBA and revert to to the modern award system at the Loyang Power Station in Gippsland, Victoria. 
So let's go back to the Loi Yang workers. They feel and you feel that uh, the Fair Work Commission has let you down? The, I, I would say the Fair Work Commission has failed in its duty um, to properly consider the circumstances of workers in its termination decision. That's one of the requirements under the Act. Um, now, for the, work, the Fair Work Commission to um, um, effectively grant the company the ability to cut their wages by 65%, which, by the way, flows through to their lifetime superannuation because this, this superannuation is a defined benefit and it's calculated as a percentage of their wage for the last 12 months. Um, so workers stand to lose, with 30 or 40 years service, stand to lose hundreds of thousands of dollars in superannuation on top of a... Oh, so they cuts. work at, when they do their final calculations, they do it based on how much they're earning? Yeah, it's a multiple times years of service times um, their final average salary over the last 12 months. And so, even if that was uh, they were under a different regime for, say, 39 years and then if it were changed by the 40th year, then that's what it means. Yes, basically, if someone asked, mm. say... That's pretty creepy, isn't it? On 39 years of service, um, had a million dollars there, um, because their final average salary could drop by 65%, they'd lose $650,000. Um, so we've had indications that um, at least 30% of the workforce will resign if that transpires. Um, so oh, because they want to retain. Yeah, I understand they, what you're saying. They want to protect their super. Um, the day the determination decision got handed down, um, we had a work, worker in the mine resign. I believe over the course of bargaining, there's about 14 people that in the power station that have resigned early, earlier than um, they were planning to retire. So there's a number of people that starting to resign because they're concerned about their superannuation. So, in effect, this is a way of reducing the workforce? Well, yes, perhaps, but um, obviously if um, we have 150 workers resign, um, the place might not be able to operate. Yeah, well, that's very interesting, and I'm sure, and I've actually done a bit of a straw poll, uh, a lot of people didn't realise that there was potentially going to be uh, strikes during Christmas, but they were averted because of the government stepping in? No, well, that's not correct. Not um, correct, yeah. Um, there was, um, we actually um, scheduled um, industrial action for the 28th of December. We picked that time because it's industry shut down and um, it's the lower, lowest um, power use period over the summer period. We had 90 workers that were going to take action in the power station, which would have shut the power station down for a day. There was no chance whatsoever of any impact on Victoria's power supply because there was 6,000 megawatts of spare electricity. Now, AGL announced that it was going to lock out the whole site, which included the mine, which would have dropped the coal supply off to... Um, Loyang B Power Station, which is a, uh, a competitor, and so it would have increased the generation losses for Victoria, uh, to the Victorian grid. And that lockout was indefinite, so um, AGL were going to lock out 570 workers, uh, 400 and 
80 of those workers weren't even taking industrial action yet. We're going to be locked out of their employment because the uh, lockout was indefinite and could run into the summer period. The CFMEU pulled our action. 17 minutes after we withdrew our action, the government intervened. The effect of government intervention triggers um, proceeding to terminate all industrial action and could ultimately lead to workers being forced into a fair, uh, fair work workplace determination where the Fair Work Commission decides their uh, terms of employment. Mm. Um, so, Is that what um, happened? Is that So you guys were forced to go to the Fair Work Commission because of that intervention? We would have been, and the intervention was essentially because of the employer's actions. So yeah, essentially the... What the employer is doing is triggering government intervention to force the Fair Work Commission to do a workplace determination against workers and deny workers the right to bargain. Yeah, right. So it's a real chess game, isn't it? Yes. Um, yeah. And look, AGL have entered into this with a legal strategy. They've had a team of lawyers all the way through. They've had lawyers present at every bargaining meeting. This has all been pre-planned and... Um, so AGL have got an agenda and they're using provisions of the Fair Work Act to help them achieve that. The thing we would say is if the Commission perform their duties as per the Act, we don't think that AGL would have been able to do that. But unfortunately, the way it's panned out, AGL have been assisted in what we would call a very dubious bargaining strategy. Yeah, look, um, in the commission on the weekend, AGL's had trouble staffing units. AGL were alleging unprotected industrial action in the form of overtime bans. Now, we had numbers of people in on overtime, yet the company was short of manning, so um, they were accusing the union of organising that. On Sunday, the commissioner ruled that there wasn't um, or there was insufficient evidence to um, conclude that um, there was an overtime ban or industrial action occurring, so he declined to give an order. Since then, you know, we've had letters from AGL threatening to sue the union and, and uh, you know, obviously, you know, launch into an illegal attack on the union and employees. That's it for Stick Together. Thanks to Jeff Dyke for talking to us. Stick Together is produced at 3CR Studios in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network and you hear it on your own community radio station. Remember, wherever you are, whatever you do, there is a union for you. My name's Annie McLaughlin. Catch you next time. <laughs>